This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Well, hello everyone. It seems like uh, an eternity since we last spoke. In reality, it's only perhaps been a couple of weeks. A lot's been happening-ish at the One Core Stadium. Season tickets uh, are now out on sale. We've signed a player. We might have even signed one or two more by the time you're listening to this. And we've got a pre-season schedule to look forward to as well. During the break, we will be bringing you uh, some episodes of our Stags Stories season. And we've got an absolute corker lined up for you today as well we'll tell you who it's with in a minute although you'll know because it's in the episode title but anyway that's irrelevant um joining me as always uh, virtually is mr nathan edge who's been on the episode with us we've just finished recording it we're doing things a little bit differently this time around without giving too much away what a fantastic hour and a half we've just had with our guest andy white absolutely um without giving too much away oh yeah there's, there's some key moments that were covered in 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 that Obviously, we're rolling back the years. We do say we want to try and sort of um, get a mixture of, you know, sort of recent historical players on and, and, and try and go back a bit further. So we've gone back as far as we can, as far you know, as that we can remember, if that makes sense, uh, back to the sort of early 2000s. But um, even though it was 20, 20 odd years ago, it's still clearly in his memories very, very much in, in detail, you know, and, it, and he certainly holds a lot of sort of fond memories from his time at Mansfield Town which is always what we want to hear isn't it as, as supporters Absolutely and another thing which he spoke so openly and honestly about is a topic which we've been covering you know for the past six months for the past season really and that is the topic of mental health we know there's a lot of anxiety at the moment about um, you know fans returning um, in, in the new season you know there's a lot of uh, suicide rates especially in males and attempted suicides as well which are uh, really really high which is a really sad thing uh, to see Andy has been very open in, in previous articles in the press particularly an article with the Chad a year or so ago about his uh, battles with mental health and um, in particular you know that, that sort of self-doubt and that sort of thing and it was really great actually to be able to sit down with him and not just talk about all the good times and all the funny stories but also to hear that genuine story about trying to find a way in the world in and out of football and he's sort of been uh, a bit of a sort of an ambassador to to get that conversation flowing you know and we we've said it you know, ourselves in the last uh, year or so that the, the reason why we've committed so much to do virtual live podcasts and and and, and so on it's to keep people connected and um, keep the conversation going and and try and 
they are a bit for, for mental health and and that's exactly what sort of Andy Andy's been doing over the last sort of few few years and to, to hear it from you know from his perspective to hear sort of the struggles he he went through uh, you know we talk about a, a, a somewhat quite popular topic as well between you know football players at the moment it's sort of life after football you know it's something that as fans we when once a player is left you sometimes forget about you know them to a certain extent so but for for them they've still got to go out there and make a living and it's not an easy thing to go and do so to, to again to, to hear it from from Andy and openly and, and honestly it's uh you know been, been a really great inf- insight for us all yeah absolutely without further ado let's get into our chat with Andy White this episode may contain topics of conversation which some people may find sensitive all the details of helplines and things like that can be found in the description of this podcast but sit back and enjoy this is Stag Stories with Andy White we'll see you at the end Cheltenham and us with neck and neck for promotion. I think they were actually favourites for promotion uh, at that stage because I think they're like a point ahead with the game in hand. There must have been 12,000 people at Field Mill that night. It only holds eight. So there were people stood up around the corner flags. The stewards had to get like literally a rope out. It was like the old days, like the 70s in terms of people. That was the best atmosphere that I played in at Mansfield, certainly. Murray has now scored six goals in 10 games since joining on loan from Derby County. Yet the arrival of 36-year-old Scott Sellers from Huddersfield might prove to be just as significant. Sellers setting up Andy White, who made it 2-0, his first goal since he scored in a 4-0 win over Macclesfield in August. Just about everybody back for Chesterfield to defend it. The goalkeeper stayed on his line, it's a Lawrence header, it's a Lawrence goal, it's a Liam Lawrence winner. To be honest, I was panicking because um, my girlfriend was in the mix, standing up behind the goal. The reason I was panicking was because you had the option to pay for a, for a seated ticket, but it was an extra pound, so because it was cheaper, I got a standing <laughs> ticket. So I was, I was going, oh my day, she's going to be like, on her own as well. She didn't have any family with No. Her. I don't know what she must have made though, but yeah, for oh, me, I wow. was uh, yeah, panicking. Quid's a quid, isn't it, in the day? Well, it's been a long time coming since we've done a podcast and we're delighted uh, today to be joined by Andy White, former Mansfield Town striker. Nathan's with me as well. Uh, Nath, me and you on this one, um, with no disrespect to Andy, we are going to be racking our brains a little bit because this, for me, was was peak when I first started watching. And, you know, you're a fair few years younger than me as well. So have you been on the phone to Simon to try and uh, get a few memories of this and on the phone to your dad as well? Uh, definitely not Simon because I think his 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 memory's fading, isn't it? But um, I mean, there are some memories because the, the season, one season in particular, um, was basically the season that got me in love with football. You know, I was attending before, but that, obviously that one season when we ended up getting promotion, uh, the the big season was that point where you know Mansfield Town became a part of. Well, it was always going to be a part of my blood, but you know, you know what I mean. So. Um, I just remember, I do remember that part of that season very, very well. So, 
Um, but especially that final day. So <laughs> that'd be the bit that sticks out in my memory more than anything. Absolutely. And I imagine that's the same for you as well, isn't it, Andy? You know, you, you look back on your, your time at the Stags and uh, that promotion uh, from what is now League Two into what's now League One uh, was a very special time in It's I think it's 20 years ago now. Yeah, yeah. I was um, thinking about getting in touch with Mez, actually, see if we can get the pitch next season to do, like, a 20-year anniversary. But uh, I haven't got around to it. He's a, bit, he's a bit busy at the minute with his pitch renovation, so I haven't got around to that. But, yeah, 20 years, It's uh, it soon flies by. It's, I, you know, I say it's a distant memory, but I, I do remember it like it's yesterday because the fondness of the memories that I had and, you know, you can't buy that. And I say that to my friends now because, obviously, being a, an ex-professional footballer, that's all you've got. Um, so I'm constantly reminding about the memories that I do have uh, during my short time as a professional footballer. But at the end of the day, I can say that, you know, I played professional football and played over 100 league games um, and had some fantastic times. So nobody can ever take that away from me, even when now I'm um, knocking about as a 39 year old on the local non-league scene and people are giving me a bit of stick I can always draw upon that so you know it's like a duck it's, it's um, water off a duck's back for me for any for any banter I get because I've, I've got those memories and, and nobody can take them away from me Absolutely. please say you pull out the the, 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 the medal at some point like <laughs> well I've actually got him in my uh, in my office um, uh, hung up I think Barry Stavum uh, did all the lads uh, like a frame shirt with, with the with the medal in there so yeah it's uh I did have it in shot, but it's, uh, it's it's in this room somewhere. What an absolute memory to have as well, and I think really good as well to hear that you're still sort of playing on a you know on on a weekend and sort of keeping going. Have you dropped a little bit further back positionally now, or are you sort of still sticking up top? I'm still up top, yeah. So now it's just a case of uh, flicking it on, heading it, and kicking it. That's about as much as I do now, um, which I should have done when I was at Stags, to be honest. But um, yeah, it's uh, I, I kind of refine my game a little bit, a little bit better in the air. But yeah, just more of a target man. Don't don't move an awful lot. Um, but yeah, still 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 uh, still enjoying it. To be fair, uh, I play very rarely. Uh, but I, when when I'm called upon, I do I do drop in and help out wherever I can really. To be fair, there's many players that have been robbing a living at Stags doing that, um, you know, in the last couple of seasons, Nate. So maybe we should get Nigel on the blower and see if, you know, see if he fancies it in pre-season. Uh, I mean, he said about getting some experience, so, <laughs> you know, 39. Promotion, <laughs> promotion winner as well. You know, what more, what more can you ask for? I played yeah. under Nigel, actually, at Burton when I went on loan there. Yeah, I was going to ask oh. you about that. Yeah, because obviously uh, you had a couple of loan spells out when you were at Mansfield. One of which was Burton. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, yeah, four or five, something like that. Uh, what was it like to play play like that? Because obviously, you know, back then, sort of Burton were non-league, trying to push the way up the pyramid. It was relatively early-ish in his managerial uh, career. What was he like to to play under Nigel Clough? It was a brilliant man manager. He was actually playing at the time I uh, I joined, um, so he um, he wasn't afraid of saying how it is very kind of brunt blunt down down the line honest which is what you need as a player you need to you need to be told honestly and there's no odds barred when it when it comes to his kind of uh, pre-match talk or half-time team talk um it, it really does say it's how it is um which is great for me and as a young lad i went there and played away at hereford on my first game scored on my debut and all the fans and, and, and all the players were loving me and then 
after that, I went a bit downhill. <laughs> I didn't do so well, but yeah, I, I enjoyed it at Burton because it's only down the road, you see. So, um, and it was just all kind of, it was like a proper non-league setup back then. You know, we played at the old Eaton Park, I think it is. Um, all the lads, you know, we used to have um, a few beers and pies on, on, on the way home on, on, on the buses. In fact, Nigel Clough he used to he used to come into the game before saying, anyone to pie? It's like, what, you haven't your pies before games and that? You know, it's like mad nowadays. But um, I'm sure there's still a few old school um, kind of strategies that he's got that, he's, that he takes forward with him but that's that's the heart that's that's how he's kind of been growing up in terms of his football development so he's, he's got a few of those in his, in his locker I'm sure and I'm sure some of the players currently will tell you all about that but again um, no doubt he's kind of um, well he's grown as a football manager he's, he's managed at the highest level so you've got a great 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 gaffer there really yeah we will certainly make note of that for, for any future stag stories let's delve a little bit into, into you then obviously you know you're still playing every now and again but let's delve into life after football because I think it's fair to say that it's not been the easiest ride post football I think you talk to any footballer when, when, they, when they leave football it's, um, it's a difficult one um, because if you think about it, you know, I, I had plans to be a PE teacher. Um, I, I was going to just go do my A-levels, do a degree, be a PE teacher, um, go into that line of work. And then all of a sudden, you come out of professional football, um, earning decent money, and then you start from scratch, really. So literally, um, I can remember I played at Wembley um, in the FA Trophy final for Kidderminster on the Saturday. On the Monday morning, I woke up six o'clock in a, in a factory packing explosives believe it or not um so that just shows you the kind of the transition from playing football every day for a living to actually going out and making a living um i, I was ready at the time to leave football you know um I, i'd already prepared kind of two years i did a um, professional sports writing and broadcasting degree actually mm. at Staffordshire university um and i was doing some kind of you know co-commentating with, with dave jackson at bbc radio nottingham uh, i never really interested in going in that line of work to be honest i just knew that i needed a degree to kind of progress but you know the short term when you actually leave football you need to earn a living you need to pay the bills and that's what I had to do for two years so yeah worked in a factory for two years and you know I woke up every day and I wasn't down in the dumps or anything like that I just thought right this is the next stage of my life I've got to get on with it um I've, I've got you know um a mortgage to pay and yeah just kind of plowed on knowing that the long-term vision would be uh, a, a decent career which is what what you're aiming for at the end of the day so yeah it was a, an interesting time and obviously at the time I, I dropped down into non-league played for workshop um really enjoyed it at workshop great bunch of lads great setup so playing for fun really um which uh, which suited me a little bit better rather than the kind of the pressures and the pitfalls of professional football which i think probably didn't suit my personality at the end of the day but you know i, I had a go i enjoyed it and uh, like i said i've got those memories that can last forever fantastic stuff and of course um, one thing which sort of we're trying to do as part of this little mini series if you like we've got no idea whether it'll be a series or whether it'll just be one or two episodes you know what we're like Nath we're, we're ad hoc at the best of times um, we we read uh, an interesting article from you about a year or so ago when you really opened up about your, your mental health journey and uh, and things like that. First and foremost, why did you feel it was a, an important thing to, you know, to, to speak out at, at that time about the journey that you went on? I just wanted to help others because I realised that during kind of you know the dark days, if you like, and this was 
probably 2016 that I kind of suffered um, my challenges with mental health. Um, I just wanted others to be aware that A, it gets better, and B, there's help out there. The main the main thing is that you, you, you need to go and get that help. And uh, I've had no end of people reach out to me after that article um, saying, Andy, you really helped. I've, I've got the help that I need, you know, either professionally or, or talking to your friends. Um, but for me, it was just about helping others because I know how kind of dark it can get um, in those in those depths of um, your, your, your struggles with mental health. So, yeah, that's that's why I did it. Obviously, um, Katrina at, um, at the Chad, um, I, I knew her. She kind of put this call out so on Facebook and I thought, yeah, I think it's time for me to tell my story. It was the, the, yeah, three years post kind of my challenges. I'd come out the other end and I wanted to um, tell my story, really, just to kind of help others realize that that you can get through it because that's the main thing for me it's although you're at the deepest darkest place it does get better and that's the kind of main main message for, from from my perspective yeah absolutely and i think that's one thing Nate, which we wanted to sort of you know get out of this because you know we're a, a year 18 months on now from the very first lockdown everything is pretty much coming back to, to normal season tickets are out me and you have both got ours we'll have another conversation about what you put on twitter though after this podcast <laughs> you think you're getting away with that you're not um but I think one thing that is important, I think a lot of people might be a little bit apprehensive, a little bit scared to, you know, to come out and to think, you know, that they can forge the friendships and go to football again, given all the situation around it. So, you know, to hear ex-footballers and, and people who, you know, are still very well thought of from Mansfield Town fans perspective, talk openly and honestly about their journey, I think is a really inspiring thing, Nath. Absolutely. Um, you know, you, you say what happened, what's happened over the sort of last 18 months or so uh, and it, it's, it's had an effect on on everybody you know so um, it's a situation that none of us have, have ever been through before that never none of, none of us would have ever really imagined going through and uh, like most things in life it does have an effect on people in, in different ways so um, you know it's fantastic that you know we are heading back to some sort of normality but it's um, you know it's not going to be a magic wand as you know oh you're allowed back out everything's going to be all right there's still going to be some um some carry on from 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 the last year or so to so to have people you know like like andy like you say there that are still regarded in you know in high regards from from a mansfield town supporters perspective to you know open you know be honest and have a bit of open transparency about them and, and, and put it out there and start the conversation because i think that's what's important isn't it it's uh it started that conversation and we've made a, a big deal of that over it in this last sort of year of, the, of podcasting to try and get people involved and get them talking um but that that it needs to continue and i think the more um you know sort of high profile people that you know are able to join in that conversation as well the, the more people it's going to reach out there what intrigued me as well andy was uh whether or not when you were a player you sort of had those doubts and and those sort of uh, questions in terms of your mental health and your sort of uh, your well-being in the game because we've seen it particularly in the last year one example which everybody will keep coming back to is the sad news of, of Lee Collins um, there was also a player for um uh, for Bolton who was on loan there Marcus Madison 
who didn't play and ended up going back to his parent club because he was struggling in the lockdown and, and things like that. Social media wasn't a massive sort of part of the game when you were there, you know, when you were a player as well. How much more of an effect do you think that might have had if you were sort of playing in today's era, if you like, of that social media age where it is so easy for somebody to you know to send a tweet uh, when they've had a few when they've had a few or even if they've not and you know which can be looked at in such a negative way and have such a detrimental effect yeah i mean it, it certainly would have made the mental side of playing football because i think the physical side playing football every day that's what you love that's what you do it's just that mental side that i kind of struggled with not in a kind of mental health way but just to kind of maybe a little bit of self-esteem a um, little bit of lack of confidence, not being assertive enough to go onto the gaffer's door and you know tell him I should be playing, or being assertive to my teammates. That's what I really struggled with, and and that was difficult enough. Not having the the constant bombardment or constant kind of interaction with the supporters that you get nowadays through social media. I think we started is it stags stags chat or stags net or something message yeah. board started back in the early 2000s so that's about as much abuse as we got because i never read it but uh, a few players used to come in and clap quite clap happily tell you uh, what had been said on there um I, I didn't really take any notice of that i'm not really i wasn't really into that but yeah it just adds another dimension there's no switching off either is there you know it's constant um your phone pings and that's it so yeah luckily i didn't have that kind of challenge when, when i was playing um but i can really empathize with with players who who do have that that constant bombardment um but again it's about you know being self-aware you know you, you're you're struggling mentally it's about knowing that so the first challenge is actually knowing that there's a problem because sometimes you don't know until it's kind of too late if you like in terms of you're in that ruminating you're in that constant cycle of overthinking things um so i think in terms of looking after your mental health that's one thing i've learned about you know go out for a walk go out for a cycle just have good mental health because I just wasn't aware of it as a player. Now, whether that's because I was a young lad and, you know, you live and learn, don't you? Or whether it was because there wasn't an awful lot of kind of awareness around mental health and having good mental health. So I think for me, one of the messages I want to get out there is kind of look after it when it's good because that helps pre prevent the problems further down the line, really. Um, so, yeah, um, either mindfulness or talking to your mates or opening up or going for a war, whatever, but just, just look after your mental health. And I think that's why I kind of had the challenges that I had because I didn't, I just didn't know about mental health. I neglected it and you need to look after it um, as much as you do your, your physical health. And obviously you sort of broke through sort of late 90s, early noughties. Thinking back to that era, how difficult do you think it would have been for, you know, a, a group of men, you know, a squad of say 22 to sort of, put their arm around another person or sit down and just sort of say look I am struggling because it's difficult even now where there are where there's so much more help there's so much more you know ways of contacting people and, and being close to, to somebody but back then as well where you know it was it, it had such a stigma do you think it, it was an issue then and do you think it still is now I think it was an issue then and I do still think it's an issue now um, I think mental health People don't have an awful lot of awareness of it still. I know there's a lot more, but there's still so much more that can be done in terms of raising the awareness, you know, what is mental health, what's good mental health, um, how does it differ from physical health. Um, and for me, 
it is an illness. You know, if you are having mental health challenges, see it as an illness, the same as you would a broken leg or a broken arm or, um, you know, um, a stomach bug. It's it's an illness that needs treating in, in whatever way you can find, whether it's kind of talking therapies, whether it's um, um, eating a better diet, whether it's um, the, the kind of, you know, um, anxiety induce uh, reducing um, tablets or, or whatever it is an illness you know it's a chemical imbalance in the brain at the end of the day and that imbalance needs offsetting uh, one way or another so I think it's just important that people recognize that and they get help for it in the early stage really. There was one interesting thing in the article the Chad article which I thought again was an absolutely fantastic article at the time as well that it came out and that you were talking about your journey you were on on the path to become a fireman is is that right? I've got a really funny story actually in terms of my career path because um, I volunteered as a special police officer, never made an arrest, and um, I've I've trained to be a firefighter and never actually put a fire out. So, <laughs> yeah, but you know, you live and learn, you try these different things, and I think it again, it's from leaving football. Really, you haven't really got an identity, you haven't got a career path, so you try different things. Some things suit, you know. I felt the fire service would suit me because of that physical element. Um, the mental side of things probably didn't deal with that so well, but I think it just came at a time where um, my wife had just had a, had a baby. So, you know, I mean, if you know how challenging it is being a new dad, you, it's the biggest change you'll ever experience. Oh, don't, don't give him that, because I, I asked him before we started the podcast, you know, how's Oliver doing? And he went, oh, this Pete Perity likes it. It's, it's, a, it's easy as you like. So I, I, I can't wait for him we to hit it. We won't be recording that moment. So oh, we right. were. <laughs> no, but yeah. Um, that being a new parent is the biggest change you'll ever have. Uh, chuck into the mix, you know, a massive career change, going from a, a mainly office-based job, you know, attending meetings here and everywhere, to actually, you know, being on the front line and having to face real-life emergencies when people's lives are in your hands. Um, it, it was just like a perfect storm, really, in terms of what happened to me at the time. So, yeah, um, it was it was kind of the fire service that potentially provoked that or ignited it. Uh, but I think there was deep underlying things anyway that, you know, were there anyway. It was just a real a trigger um, for me. But, uh, yeah, I won't be going back there in a, in, a, in a rush. How many different career paths have you tried? You mentioned, you know, you, you volunteered as a policeman. Uh, you nearly came into the fire service. What else have, have you done before you found where you are now? Well, yeah, professional footballer, um, firefighter, police officer, uh, worked in a factory, uh, and now I work in public health, which is kind of an office-based job. Um, I've worked at Short Start Children's Centres, which is around supporting families with uh, children in the early years, which I really enjoyed. Uh, I did actually train to be uh, a breastfeeding support worker, believe it or not. Um, to, to kind of train mums to support other mums so a bit weird a bloke doing that but uh, i enjoyed it you know um and yeah it's um I've had, I've had a few careers i could write a book actually on kind of my career pathway but um maybe, maybe later on in life when i when i find another career to, to have a delve into well absolutely maybe maybe you should or maybe you should uh, start a little podcast i mean i know this great podcast that you could join in and join in with that um final little question before we delve more into your stake story it, it's made me think actually sort of hearing you talk about your different career paths and for me when i think about or when i've spoken to ex-footballers about you know the career that they went into sort of after it always seemed like 
when you're a professional football, you either go one or two ways, and that's into you know the, the punditry route and the, the sort of broadcast journalism route, that sort of thing, if you can get an in. Um, for example, Liam Lawrence was a prime example, sort of, you know, who you sort of went through the youth team with and, a, 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 and everything, um, or go into coaching and, and management. Do you think that there's perhaps not enough support out there for footballers who reach sort of, you know, you're your 30, maybe even younger if you pick up an injury to look at that career because I'm 30 years old now and if I was a professional footballer never would be Nathan's seen me play um you know I'd be towards the back end of my career and I wouldn't know what to do next and to to think that at this what is relatively an actually young age is quite a scary experience so from your experience when you were coming towards the back end of the, your career was there much support in place there in terms of signposting ex-pros into different career paths or was it literally just a that's it, you've done your contract's done, off into the wild world, world you go. I mean, the, the PFA were brilliant, to be fair. The, there's a range of courses you can do through the Professional Football Association, um, one of which was that um, professional sports writing and broadcasting degree that I did. Um, so they came round to the football, I think it was Notts County at the time. Laurie Madden came round and just did, gave a bit of a presentation about this course. And it was a course purely for footballers. Um, Two-year degree course. Fully funded through um, through uh, the PFA, so you can imagine, you know, all these students getting into loads of debt to get a degree. This was somebody saying, "Here's a kind of in effect free degree. You'll go to um, Stafford University after training on a, I think it's a Monday and a Thursday. You'll be with a whole bunch of other footballers on this course. So I was on there with Scott Minto, who went on to kind of present, you know, the the, the, the football shows and on Sky Sports." Lee Bullock, who's assistant manager at Chef Wednesday, Neil Cutler, goalkeeping coach, Aidy Moses, uh, ex-Stags, who's now, I think he's a financial advisor yeah. now. So for for us, it was a no-brainer, you know, with a paid-for degree with a, with a load of other footballers. Um, and it's just about being proactive and planning that far forward. There's not many footballers who are in it. They see it as, right, great, I'm playing football every day. Not really going to think about the long-term thing until it, bang, it's upon you, you know. Whether, whether it's your end of a contract or you know an injury or whatever, it soon comes around. So it's just about having that long-term view, really, in terms of where you want to be. Because the big bad world outside of football is a very difficult world, and I think you know when you're not prepared for that, it will hit you like a train. So um, it's just about being mentally prepared for that day, either getting qualifications or you know doing some work experience. Or even just going for interviews is, is a challenge because bear in mind, you know, I was 27 before I'd even had a first job interview, and that's a challenge. That's a kind of that's a technique in itself to to, to sell yourself in a way that you're going to get a, a job. So, yeah, I think the PFA do a good job in terms of um, that support, but it's down to the individual at the end of the day. So, um, if they're not proactive enough, then um, it's it, yeah. It's going to it's going to it's going to be a challenge. Let's delve now into your uh, your stags journey, your full stags journey. Um, first and foremost, when was it that you sort of uh, moved to Mansfield Town? Because you were, it took you a while to sort of break through into the first team setup, but I believe it was sort of mid mid to late nineties, wasn't it, when you got the got the call to join the club? Uh, yeah, ninety nine pre season ninety nine. I was playing for Hucknall Town. Uh, my PE teacher at the time took me to Hucknall uh, so I was just playing playing with them really not I think it was probably my first game it was against Mansfield in the pre-season friendly 
And uh, I think it was uh, Stuart Watkins, Skip and Baz came over to me after and said, you know, do you fancy coming coming on trial? Um, I said, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll come down. <laughs> Not thinking anything of it. I didn't really have aspirations to be a professional footballer. I just, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll come. I'll, I'm doing my levels, so I can only come during school holidays. So I think it was the summer, summer, um, summer holidays that I went down, trained with the first team. Um, you know, there was likes of uh, Lee Peacock, um, a few other Tony Lorma, um, Ian Bowling, all the, all the kind of yeah old school Stags players, and, and I really enjoyed it. And then um, after I went back to school in the September, and I lost touch a little bit until the kind of October November time. And Skip rang me up and said, "Do you want to come play for youth team?" So I was playing for the youth team, and at that time, we had a really great youth team. So we had you know Leah Lawrence, um, Diz, uh, Lee Williamson, uh, Jerv. Uh, Dean Mitchell uh, and uh, Dean Sweeney so we had a really great team and I could see the kind of the potential of it and I was just playing on an evening we got through to FA Youth Cup quarterfinals Midland FA Youth Cup you know we're playing at Stags on a, on a Tuesday night uh, under the floodlight which I absolutely loved and it was that time where I just played with no pressure at all because you know I was just enjoying my football um, and again still doing my um, A level still studying at sixth form um, and yeah so just kind of during the evenings at weekends in fact I still played for Hucknall I used to play for the youth team on a Saturday morning and then go off and, and um, earn a few more quid playing for Hucknall Town first team in the afternoon so I was getting like a double bubble on a, on a Saturday which uh, was great because I still have a paper round as well at the time so I'd get 50 quid a week from paper round I think I was getting 40 quid a week from Mansfield and another 60 from Hucknall so I was the richest student going Wait Hucknall were playing more money than what Mansfield were? Yeah yeah, yeah. Do you know yeah. what? With what we've sort of heard about the ex-chairman, Nate, that doesn't surprise me at all, does it, you? <laughs> no, I mean, I'm not surprised we pay anything, to be fair, but uh, no, there's no surprise there. It, it, did, it did go up to 60 quid because they didn't want me to play football anymore, so they offered me 60 quid. But all the youth team players at the time, and I don't think they know this, so like Liam Lawrence, Diz, uh, Leroy, um, Jerv, they were only 45 on a YTS, you know, they're nine to five every day. And I was coming just playing on Saturday morning, 60 quid, so, yeah. Oh dear, I mean, I imagine that was great banter in the dressing room as well, obviously keeping that hidden. There might've been one or two times where I might've been tempted to sort of drop that one out there. But, you know, you, you mentioned so many names there and we spoke sort of uh, off air before we started recording about one particular name in particular, which was Skip, AKA Stuart Watkiss. Fantastic guest for us, Nath, wasn't he, when we, when we spoke to him? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, going we, we we had to travel, didn't we? We haven't we haven't travelled too many. I think it was Mickey Bolden that we travelled to, and then obviously um, Stuart Watkins. So we went all the way to to Cleefords, which was a great day out for us. But most importantly, I mean, he was obviously he was massively accommodating for us. Anyway, Ed wasn't he? he saw us out. Was it a local gym? Yeah, his we, gym, wasn't it? That he he'd uh, pulled some strings honestly. to get us a nice little corner there to set up all our equipment <laughs> and things like that. Um, but I think that, you know, off air, he was very sort of um, genuine, very sort of uh, helpful and really wanted to, to get, to, you know, to, to be involved with, uh, with with the podcast. And then obviously he had his, his great stories to share along with it. And, and even since then, you know, with the amount of times we're, we're live on Facebook and it pops he's up. Always watch, he's always popping up. He's watching. brilliant, isn't it? He's and like number one just, fan. Yeah. And I think, just, I think that's just the type of guy he is. And I think he must have been... Um, yeah, you know, a, a real 
good person to to play football under. I mean, I've genuinely never found Andy anybody that's got a bad word to say about Stuart Watkiss. Oh, I mean, yeah, I can't speak hardly enough of him. I mean, he gave me my chance, really. Him and Billy, Billy Dearden, uh, Ivan Holly, you know, they were all, all in the kind of youth setup at the time. And I think it's just that, I mean, Skip, he, he, he wears his heart on his sleeve. He expects 100% every, every training session, um, every game. And he brings the players along on that journey with him. And he expects you to run for a brick wall for him. Uh, which you end up doing, <laughs> you know, literally, quite literally sometimes because we used to play um, like five a side up on the Astro, you know, with the low low boundaries and stuff. And um, we used to call it murder ball. We used to do it on a Friday and, and it was like really fast, intense football. Tackles are flying in like you wouldn't believe, you know, people going over the barriers because of you know, that kind of physical challenges. But that's what he expected. So he played with that high intensity, brought you along um, on the journey with him. You got bought into his beliefs, his, his way of playing football. And that's um, ultimately how we ended up doing such a good job at, at Mansfield and through the youth team and through to the first team. We'll come on more to like your debut and things like that and, and you breaking through in a minute. But do you think that was integral to Mansfield's success uh, under him? Because, you know, obviously when Billy left, um, Stuart took over, Skip took over, and he basically had the youth team which he'd nurtured and developed and coached over three or four years as his first team is that what was integral to his success yeah and I think you know you look long term in terms of when you're when you're in the academies and the the youth teams you're looking right these players two three years time I'm going to add to it you know I'm going to build on this team because they've got real potential and I think at the time the first team players saw it as well they saw that there's this group of young lads coming through who could potentially do great things and many of them have gone on to play championship some premiership so you know the proof's in the pudding about where these players have actually gone on in terms of their footballing career and a lot of that is down to skip not just about you know the the footballing values that he taught everybody but you know more as a person because you know when you're growing up as a 17 18 year old you look to people for guidance you look to people for kind of your structure and skip gave that in terms of um, that leadership and, and him guiding you as a, almost like a father figure really and a lot of players did look up to him as a father figure you know like Liam you know Leroy they kind of saw him as a person who can they can rely on and they can feel secure with so I think that was a, a massive part of his success and you know the football element kind of self, you've got a bunch of players like that who can go out and deliver on, on a weekly basis. But again, he brought them through, him and Billy, you know, in terms of a gradual phase, it wasn't right, there you go. Um, it was a, a gradual thing and it, they brought, him, it brought them in at the, at the right time and it all seemed to click in, in that, that one season, really. Yeah, you know, you, you mentioned that, that, that gradual progression as well. Uh, give us your journey then uh, in, in terms of how you broke onto that, that first team scene because certainly by the time that I'd started watching sort of, um, you know, 0102, um, the promotions, the promotion season, uh, you were sort of, you know, playing pretty much regularly um, and uh, it was the same for, for Nathan as well. But talk to us about your, your breakthrough. When did that happen for you and how did that come about? So um, that first season as a professional footballer, was, I think it was the season before we got we got promoted. Um, and I really, I knew that I kind of had to get used to playing football every day for a living because I'd been at school, you know, in the sixth form. I'd done my A-levels. So I was like a, a big fish in a small pond. And all of a sudden you come into professional football and you're all 
already you know you're the smallest fish in a very big pond and i think that took me a time to get used to the physical element of training every day you you the the, the rigmarole your body goes through uh, the mental side of things um so it took me a year and i didn't i didn't play in that first year in fact i can remember all the lads going up to scotland for a pre-season tour of i think it's like elgin elgin city and like jerv got involved liam got involved leroy was selected for that trip and i wasn't i was kind of really disappointed because we were like almost peers but i just felt to myself you know i, I can remember kind of speaking to skip about it I said look just you've got to bide your time and luckily him and Billy were really good in terms of after six months they offered me a two-year contract which was great of them bear in mind hadn't even played in the first team I mean it was only the following season where it really came came together really um, and you know I played most of the pre-season going into the kind of promotion season I started the first 10 games um, did okay um, scored on uh, I think it was my second or third game no it might have been my debut against Knox County in like Worthington Court uh, an evening game scored in that and I scored against Macclesfield so I scored a couple played 10 games and then I was out of the team for a long time and it wasn't until after Christmas really that I got back into it and that's when the kind of running and the momentum came into the into the lead up and yeah it was just a a gradual journey uh, but I think it needed to be because if I'd have gone in straight away I'd have probably ended up down the road at Hucknall Town or Worksop Town you know without even having the, the taste of um, of league football hey, you never know at that time they might have paid more than what Mansfield did considering the, 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 probably the, did. the vast cap to be fair um, in terms of like your debut can you remember who it was against and, and sort of was it is it like a a late sub um, your debut um, it was actually I say I didn't play much in that first season it was actually against Southend um, I don't know if you remember but um Unfortunately, the league fixture, the referee um, had a heart attack. Um, so there was a there was a rearranged game, like literally when all the other teams had kind of uh, finished for their season, we had to go down to Southend to play a, another league fixture. You know, it, it, there wasn't no, nothing riding on it or anything like that. And I, and I can remember I came on at, at Southend away at Roots Hall. Um, and again, yeah, I don't think I slept much for the night, that night. I don't think I did any time I played, you know, um, particularly evening games. I could not get sleep after evening games because your adrenaline's rushing. But yeah, um, it's South End away um, in that, uh, it must have been 2001 season. Um, and then the next kind of, my full debut was, I think it was a Notts County game in the Women's Cup on that Tuesday. Um, I think we beat them 3 2. It was two keepers made, I think Pilks. Um, chuck one in but then their keeper I can't remember his name now but he chuck one in as well like tried to play out from the back and I intercepted it and then just drilled it in so that was my first goal so yeah got got, got the memories got a few YouTube videos but yeah yeah um, I actually saw one the other day I can't I'm try, desperately trying to remember who it was against now um, I think it might have been I want to say Bradford about I'm, I think I'm, I'm wrong but because uh, last year during lockdown Stag shared loads of like videos and stuff they did like goal of the day and stuff like that and it was one of them I think it was a uh, a 1-0 win you scored the only goal sort of late on we got absolutely peppered um, it was under Keith Curl I don't remember that much Barnsley that's it yeah, I knew yeah, it with a B yeah yeah yeah, yeah my mates I always play on that on YouTube because that's probably the best goal I've scored to be honest Um and yeah, I was getting I don't a lot know. of the, the one against during... the one when we went up, the one we when we scored when we got promotion. Uh, you and Wayne Corden that day both scored relatively good goals. I seem to remember. 
Well, mine was a bit of a shanking top corner. I was, was going to say that. I was like, yeah, you know, it did go in the top bin, but it wasn't intentional, was it? Or <laughs> no, it, claim was, it. It, it, it wasn't it. a great strike. It wasn't a great strike, but to be honest, if it, if it hit it clean, I think it would have yeah. So I'm glad I shanked it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so are we. Um, I remember and... that moment so much. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, we might as well talk about that moment. It seems it's, it's on the, you know, the, the Kusaba thing. I mean... Nathan's been a Stags fan since you know he was you know really really young. I didn't really start going until I was probably an early teenager, maybe even younger than that, maybe ten, eleven. Um, I went because I used to get bullied at school a lot. I used to hate football, but for some reason going to Mansfield, I, I just seemed to to really enjoy it. I didn't know what was what was happening, but I, that's the first real footballing memory I've got. Um, is, is that there's there's two memories. It's that game and then there's another one where same season where Pilks had an absolute stormer because I just remember somebody saying to me um, you know what what player is your favourite player because I think they were like going to try and get me a shirt or something and I, I said Pilks because he, he was just in action all the time and for years after that I've got slated and I, I don't know why but um, I'm sure but um, there's that and then there's the, the you know the promotion winning game I just remember Field Mill being absolutely jam-packed um, and I didn't really understand what was going off but obviously over the years you know I know it sort of went down to that final game of the season which sort of stumbled a little bit I think more of it came back when 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 Skip was telling the story a couple of years ago actually and you know there was a lot of tension there and I remember a lot riding on it but I just remember it being this absolutely phenomenal atmosphere and I didn't feel an atmosphere like that until probably years later when we actually went up from the conference to be fair and I just remember just thinking wow this is awesome and then Wayne Corden's goal I mean you know you've sort of admitted you shanked yours into the top corner but it went in so it counts but Wayne Corden's goal that was the first goal that I can really properly remember and oh, it was just a ridiculous strike Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I can't even remember working on that in training, to be honest. But it was quite a well-worked corner. I can remember it kind of clipped it in, and then somebody, because Chrissy Greenacre nodded it down, and then um, Cords yeah, banned it in top corner from about 25 yards. But you know, Cords is Cordsy. I don't think he's ever scored a bad goal. So uh, yeah, it was very timely. But I think, in terms of the atmosphere, yeah, it was good against Chel- um, Carlisle on that on that Saturday. But the best one was the Cheltenham game. Uh, when there was a lot riding on that, I think Cheltenham and us were kind of neck and neck for promotion. I think they were actually favourites to mm. go to for promotion uh, at that stage because I think they were like a point ahead with the game in hand. Um, and um, yeah, it was like literally, there must have been twelve thousand people at Field Mill that night. It only holds eight, so there were people um, stood up around the corner flags. There was having the stewards had to get like literally rope out. It was like the old day, like the, the magic 70s. tape. <laughs> Yeah, like the 70s in terms of people, but the kickoff was delayed because there was that many people piling in. That was the best atmosphere um, that I played in at Mansfield, certainly, but the, 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 the Cheltenham game. And uh, yeah, luckily popped up and scored the winner as well for that one. Um, and then we um, think Cheltenham had a game at Carlisle on the Tuesday night. And if they won, they'd have got promoted, but I think they either lost or drew. Um, and then that's when it took to the last game of the season where Cheltenham had to um, beat Plymouth, who'd already got promoted down at Home Park, and we had to beat Carlisle. So ours was a bit of a bit of an easier task than, than Cheltenham's. I think they lost, and we were getting updates all the time through the game. I can remember the fans going up and down, and like, as soon as we scored the second goal, really, I, I kind of relaxed, and I knew that you know it was a bit of a part. The second half was a bit of a kind of... Uh, 
a friendly, if you like, uh, because we knew that it was almost there. I just felt after that second goal that that we'd done it, and and all, obviously all the noises from the crowd were saying, yeah, Charlton are losing, uh, you know, Plymouth are now two 0 three 0 up. So it was just um, yeah, a great a great game, a great occasion to be involved in, really. Now I would have to watch it back, Nath, because um, it's been you know three years since we recorded. Ironically, three years today actually since we recorded it um, with Stuart Watkins. But I remember him saying, I don't know if you can remember this, Nath, that he knew before a ball had been kicked that day that we'd got promoted. Can you remember that? I can remember saying something along those lines, yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know whether it was belief um, or no, just I, one I of those can remember what it was. feelings, was it? I, I can remember what it was. I can't remember names and I can't remember exact teams, but I think it was uh, Cheltenham, wasn't it, who we were going head-to-head with. They dropped. They, it was them or us for the last day. Whoever mm. was Cheltenham manager, the manager of the opposition team who they played on the last day of the season rang Stuart Watkiss during the week or on the Friday um, and said don't worry about promotion tomorrow just go and play your game because I'm telling you now we will beat them and he just Ooh. went he just went why and he just the manager who I can't remember for the life of me who Cheltenham played on that last game of the season but he just it would have been Paul Sturrock at Plymouth who he would he would have had a conversation with I'm guessing yeah. Yeah, because that was a danger for us because Plymouth had nothing to play for. They'd already been promoted to the champions. So for them, yeah. they could have took foot off the gas and had a proper, you know, um, just a, a, a really kind of chilled out game, really, you know. But luckily, they, they went for it and they beat them. Yeah, and, and that is, do you know what? That is actually rung a bell in my head because I remember he him said that, he, Stuart Watkins said that Paul Sturrock said to him, we will beat them because their manager, I absolutely fucking hate him. And, and and that was it. And he just went, I will beat, we will beat him because I absolutely hate him. And he just sort of, he said, after that phone call, he'd had the best night's sleep that he'd ever had. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was it was good. And I, I seem to remember, you know, we were talking about the corner routine. I seem to remember him, Nate. I don't know whether he, he said that he did work on that or whether it was, you know, some, I think he'd, no, I think he actually said, you worked on something about putting it towards the far post and it ended up being dinked in towards the near and you scored like practically two goals from it or whatever. And Yeah, yeah, know, it just, was two corners, wasn't it? Yeah. The, the goal, yeah. Yeah. I remember there was, um, there were, there were signals, weren't there? Was it two uh, two hands up at the, or was it one? I can't remember now. There, there was a signal from the, obviously the corner, corner taker, which, which I was thinking it, it was yeah. something I was worked on. And it was, I remember I was reading the, uh, the match report earlier and it said in there that, up to that point, we'd been awful at corners all season. So it was, um, you know, so ironic that we ended up getting promotion from from, from basically two of them. Just shows you those finer details of that planning, you know, just going, it's the fine line, isn't it, between success and failure. So, um, yeah, we, well, Stuart, obviously, Skip obviously did uh, did his bit during the week and it paid off for the, for the game on Saturday. Yeah, absolutely. And we thank Paul Sturrock for that phone call as well because I can imagine, you know, we we spent, what, an hour and a half, maybe two hours in, in Stuart Watkins' company. We could have spent all day with him, to be fair. But you got that feeling he was a, a, a lovable but an intense manager that would literally worry about every little fine detail and really took the club to heart. And, you know, he still follows the club now which is great and still has you know really good words of advice and everything He'd, you know we'd welcome him back whenever he's back in the country to come and watch a game with us and you always felt that because he'd sort of brought those players through he'd picked up the mantle results had sort of gone off the wane a little bit he said that he wanted to deliver for for Mansfield Town and I genuinely feel that had he not had that phone call from Paul Storick to you know put his mind at ease and maybe a little bit that it, it 
it might have been a little bit too much. It's those little bits of reassurance which, you know, really do clear the mind and, you know, give you that that, that momentum to, to go into a game and to play with without the pressure. Yeah. Well, to be fair, Skip used to live and breathe it. He literally used to sleep in, in the office at, at Field Mill. Um, Monday to Friday, never went home um, because he lived and breathed football. I can imagine his kind of head thinking about all the different scenarios, the different team tactics, the kind of um, the personal conversations he might have to have with players going over it. I mean, as a manager, you used to have so much going on in your brain. It must be so difficult to switch off. But Skip never did switch off. He was literally, football was his life. Um, and at the end of the day, it, you know, it paid off in terms of Mansfield getting promoted. So he put his life and soul into that team and again promotion. Let's talk managers, uh, two in particular other than Stuart Watkiss. The first one is Billy Dearden, who we mentioned uh, earlier. Uh, fantastic character. I'd love to find find some form of way of uh, getting in touch with him, getting on, getting amongst two spells at the club. Fantastic manager. Um, but in that season, did leave a bit of a, a bitter taste when he went to, uh, left the club for, for Notts County. Um, what was that like as a player at that time? Because obviously, you know, you, you were a relatively young bunch that had come through with Skip. He was the assistant manager. We were all starting to get your breakthroughs. You've got Billy Dearden, who you spoke so positively about earlier on. What was that like when uh, he decided to uh, to move on? Did you know? Um, no, I didn't know. Um, I can remember we played um, Leicester in the FA Cup. Uh, I think it was like third round at Filbert Street. Uh, and that was Billy's last game. Uh, I think he did tell us before the game that it was leaving after. Um, but, yeah. And we went to Portugal the day after for a, a four-day trip in um, Villamora. Uh, I say Bender, but it was a pre. It was like a mid-season break, I'd say. Uh, but we had a good time. We, we just got away from it all, you know, all the kind of media tension and all that um but i think i don't know it might it might have been a kind of selfless act from billy in terms of knowing stewart's time is now and almost saying there you go stewart you know take take us home kind of thing do you know what i mean in terms of that so we always it was no no different for us because we knew that skip would actually you know take take the management and he knows all the players he took all the training sessions billy was very good in terms of that kind of man management but um, it was Stuart kind of helping drive the team forward, if you like. So it was literally nothing, nothing really changed for us. Um, in fact, remember uh, Skip? We used to set out all the cones for like running because Skip's massively into his running. They used to like keep us really fit and do these kind of long uh, running sessions. And um, he used to set these cones up. And I thought he was up at Ashfield School, and I can remember Skip putting the cones out. Billy did and followed him, kicking him in, saying, "I'm not having my players running that far and all this." So it was a, they made a great, a great team really in terms of Billy and that knowledge and awareness of the game itself, and and Skip with the kind of um, newfound coaching techniques and um, fitness challenges. Let's let's call them. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Let's move to another manager because you, of course, mentioned uh, there, um, you know, Stuart Watkiss and uh, and things like that. And I guess that um, that was the bigger blow when when he, um, you know, got the sack. You got promoted. Um, you know, it was difficult the following season. Um, 
he'd brought in a few uh, other players and, and, and things like that and was starting to sort of find the feet but unfortunately he was you know shown the door and moved on and Keith Curl brought in was it more of a blow with um, uh, with Stuart Watkins leaving because of the journey that you'd all been on together especially you know that, that core group of you know yourself Liam Leroy Bobby and, and all the, the all, all the other names in there as well 100% because at the end of the day you know although we did have ups and downs in kind of league one or the second division whatever it was back then we were doing all right you know we started really well at Plymouth at home um that was the only time I've been top top scorer in the league for about <laughs> half a day I scored two on my opening game of the season against Plymouth um then we had a really good run so I mean we're scoring for fun I can remember the, the game against Bristol Bristol City when I think did we lose 5-4 or draw 4 mm. all. so Getting goals was no problem. Um, it was actually keeping him out the other end, and I, I firmly believe we would have stayed in that league if if Skip would have um, continued. Because although he 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 had a few challenges in those early days of that season, he would he would have got it right. He would have put it right. But again, the chairman at the time didn't didn't have any patience. I think he probably uh, big mates would keep killed down the pub. Um, you know, so I think he he always had half an eye on bringing Keith Curl in because he was coming towards the end of his playing days. So um, I think he, he finished off at Barnsley playing, and then all of a sudden he kept, he came training down at uh, down at Stags uh, with the view to being a player, but then half an eye on actually is going to be kind of taking over the reins here in the end. So let me just clarify this. Um, you say he came in and sort of as a player because obviously he did. You know, play for us um, when he was manager, was player manager for a little bit. Was he training uh, whilst Skip was still the gaffer? Yeah, yeah. I can remember we played at, we used to train at West Knox College, and I can remember turning up in his big fancy Mercedes. Um, and I was in awe, really, because he was a Premier League, you know, star, really, from yeah. when I was growing up. I think, oh, Barney, Keith Curl. And I'm not joking, as a player as well, he still had it. He, he was still, you know, rapid, um, straight off the mark really solid defender and it would have made a good signing uh, but I think the chairman had half an eye on him actually taking over as a as a kind of player manager and he did like you say he did he did do both roles for a, a, a period during that season and to be fair he did tighten up the ship at the back it, it did it did work but unfortunately um, we did end up getting relegated that season that's very snaky though that Nathan isn't it because if you're Skip you're looking across at him training you're thinking I've not really made the, the phone call to, to bring him in. He's, you know, it's been brought in over my head. I know where this is going, and that must just trigger so much in your head. That's just... Uh, again, I'm not surprised, considering who the chairman was, but that's such a snake of a move, that. Yeah, I mean, actually, I, I can't remember Curl playing, to be fair, so um, I'm trying to rack my brains a little bit. But, um, yeah, I think from sort of Stuart Watkins' point of view um you know you'd like to have thought he would have been given more time anyway the fact that you know we just got promoted you're in a high division you're expected to you know to maybe find it more challenging so it probably felt a little bit of pressure anyway the fact that they've taken a step up and you obviously the objective is to to survive and try and build on that but then to for something like that to maybe come up and to happen with a player coming in where yeah, it's hard to say because we wasn't there, but we're how how aware of the situation you know Watkins may have been at that point, like I say, probably was in the back of his head anyway. So um, having to deal with that on top of uh, you know trying to 
stabiliser the team as well, which has just been promoted. Um, you know, it wasn't going to help situation, was it? Yeah, it's absolutely. It's such a snaky move. And again, it, it's something which doesn't surprise me whatsoever. Um, let's touch upon his time as manager under him, because obviously that sort of started uh, the end for you at Mansfield. But before you did... Um, sort of before you did move on uh, you did play uh, a really big part in a huge huge game in Mansfield Town history the 18th of January 2003 can you remember the game? Chesterfield away Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Chesterfield yeah. away. Um, I can't. I can remember it being quite sunny. That's why I think in January. Yeah, been, yeah. But it was, it was quite a nice January day, wasn't it? Yeah, but, yeah. It was a beautiful no, day. <laughs> and I, can, I, I always enjoy it when the uh, when when they pop pop up on uh, on social media or or, or whatever, and um, yeah, just me kind of lolloping about in the in the opposition area when <laughs> Liam pops up in last minute to to score that header. Oh, what an f- absolutely ridiculous day. What was that like to play? And I mean, for me, 18th of January is my birthday and I've never been so furious um, at, like my parents because um, my dad had booked me like a, a birthday party bowling so I couldn't go to the game, but I was listening listening to it on the radio. Wasn't allowed to go to the game, obviously with it being away in a local derby and being young and it's r- ridiculous really, but I just remember hearing it on the radio and thinking that must be great. Then I experienced it, you know, later as a fan and um, you, with numerous performances at Chesterfield and everything. It's such a different atmosphere. But what's that like to to play in? Because you must, as a player and as a local lad, know the importance, especially with you know the likes of Liam and, and Diz in there, who are also local lads as well. You guys must know the importance of that game. Yeah, I mean, there's such an intense rivalry there, and you know whether it's through the kind of the, the the pit days and that kind of intensity that that brought about in terms of the strike and all that. So that adds a, an extra kind of element of ferocity, um, and also you know the occasion in terms of like the geographical distance between the the two clubs. Uh, the fact that Chesterfield were always kind of yo-yoing up and down the leagues, and we never really got to play each other that often. Um, and also the kind of the history behind Saltergate as well, and the the ground it's got such such a great kind of history and tradition, and it's a great old ground, you know, eighty mm. percent of them are standing, so that adds an extra layer of kind of intensity and atmosphere. Um, so it was just a, it, it was a pleasure to play. I mean, I used to go, I didn't go and watch Chesterfield. I like when I was at a spare spare. I used to play at Chesterfield as a young kid, kind of 15, 16 year old schoolboy. Uh, so I used to go and like be ball boy and stuff like that, and always kind of watching Tony Lorber actually at the time and uh, thinking, God, if I ever get to play on that pitch, and I did get to play on that pitch, and it was against Chesterfield, and luckily we came away um, winners. Uh, but yeah, it was a great day and uh, an even better night. Yeah, I can imagine. Any stories from that night? That you I mean? It's twenty odd years on now. I mean, they're they're all most of them are all not playing now or not involved with football. So there must be a couple of stories you can chuck out from that night. Well, I think it was an early kickoff. It was, yeah, like eleven o'clock kickoff. Yeah. yeah, so by three o'clock we were down Mansfield, and yeah, it got it got a little bit messy. Although I think um, I went up Leeds actually. All, all the lads were around, around um, Chesterfield, uh, around Mansfield, really kind of you know getting into it. Three, four o'clock, beers were flowing. I mean, I caught a, a taxi up to up to Leeds because it was one of my mates' birthdays. So yeah, I think um, it. it it, it was a messy night. Let's just let's just say that. But I mean, 
after the promotion, talk about nights out, the promotion night, um, after we got promoted against um, uh, Carlisle, that was the, the best night of my life. It was brilliant. You know, like the whole town was buzzing. Everyone's like high fiving you and buying you drinks. And, you know, I, I went to remember, I walked into the Pally, I don't even remember the Pally nightclub. Yeah. And the whole whole nightclub just went silence and started chanting, Andy, why, why, why? <laughs> Honestly, I'll take you back to my grave, which is a whole nightclub chanting. Uh, but yeah, with, uh, I mean, Mantra was a good night anyway, but when when you kind of offer back back a decent result the whole the whole town get gets kind of real uplift because end of the day it's what people live for they live for going to the football on a saturday and they live for the uh, enjoyment of a of a good result on a saturday night so you want to enjoy that you want to join in with them and be a part of that and they, they, they did make you feel kind of part of the club and part of the community really when you did um venture out into the uh the depths of Mansfield. I mean, you. The only thing you were missing uh, is a goal against Chesterfield because you know you're a promotion winner. You've played in a derby day win over them. You know you were getting drinks brought for your left, right, and centre. Had you scored, it wouldn't have been Andy White, White, White. It would have been Sir Andy White, White, White. You get an honorary <laughs> knighthood when you uh, when you score against Chesterfield. So uh, there is one thing, particular thing about that game though, which I want to sort of uh, touch upon, and that's an ex-teammate of yours who switched allegiances, a certain Mr. Bradley, and a. Mm-hmm. an incident after he came off the bench uh, and then soon was having an early bath 90 seconds after coming on between him and Reese Day were you on the pitch at that point yes yes that was one of the very few games I actually played 90 minutes actually because I remember it was um, it was two young it was Beardo Chris Beardsley and uh, Craig Mitchell actually were kind of we, we were all there and thereabouts mm-hmm. in terms of a team and I think um, me and Beardo started up front so it was the young lad Beardo who got the shepherd's hook and, and got subbed off um, I think probably only a handful of games I actually played 90 minutes, but I was on the pitch at the time that Bradders came on and did that. And, you know, he, uh, yeah, he, he, he saw the red mist, didn't he, and uh, did something a little bit silly. So, uh, yeah. Do you think Reese did do anything? I mean, knowing Reese and knowing centre halves in general, they're always at it. <laughs> uh, anyone, I mean, you play play now on non-league they're always in your ear they're always trying to get one over on you so uh, it doesn't surprise me one bit that's part of the game at the end of the day you're trying to get one over your your kind of opposition aren't you and you do that by any legal means uh, necessary and if that means giving them a bit giving them a bit of banter and if they can't handle it then that's up to them they'll see they'll see red which is what happened absolutely and that from an ex-policeman who never actually arrested anybody there you go Um, (laughs) of course another thing about that as well it's such a good thing do you think it made it more so because you know it was a Mansfield player you know only a couple of seasons before and switched allegiances do you think that's what made it a little bit uh, more sort of it just sort of put the ice on the cake with that incident if it was going to happen to anybody that game it was going to happen to him yeah and I mean I think when Bradders came in there was a lot of because they paid a lot of money for, for Bradders when 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 I think they bought him for about 150 grand from Southampton uh, the previous season so there was a lot riding on it financially in terms of making that kind of commitment to uh, a player who's from a Premier League team and I think it didn't really take off for Bradders for one reason or another you know I know he did suffer a lot through injury and stuff um, and then you know moving over to the local rivals probably didn't help mm. so yeah it was just that kind of perfect combination really that um, then saw what 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 happened next so yeah last little bit on Chesterfield obviously Liam Lawrence's glorious winner late on 
First of all, how much do you wish that it was you that that you know that that got the the header in, into the into the goal in front of the, the hordes of travelling Stags fans? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't the strongest in the year, so I probably would have missed it anyway. So I'm glad it was someone who I could actually head a ball and uh, it ended up in the right place rather than uh, in the middle of the fans behind the goal. But yeah, now I mean, you're you're just pleased that you you've won at the end of the day. You're not bothered who scores. You just want to you want you want to win, uh, and uh, yeah, luckily. Liam popped up in uh, right place, right time. What was going through your head when you know when he pulled away the iconic celebration shirt off? That was the, the go-to celebration back then, anyway. Wheeling it round his head in front of the Stags fans. Brilliant, brilliant scenes. Uh, what you know? What was going through your head at that point? Were you thinking, you know, we've we've won a game of football. Were you thinking, you know, it's a little bit bigger. This might help us on the journey to stay up. What emotions and thoughts were going through your head at that time? To be honest. I was panicking because um, my girlfriend, who's my, now my wife, was in the mix, oh, standing right. up behind the goal. Yeah. And the, re- the, re- the, re- the reason I was panicking was because you'd, you had the option to pay for a, for a seated ticket, but it was an extra pound. So because it was cheaper, I got a standing <laughs> ticket. So I was, I was going, oh, my day. She's going to be like, on her own as well. She didn't have any family. Oh, no. With her. She was in, a, in amongst all that, like, stood up. <laughs> God. I don't know what she must have made though, but yeah, for oh, me, I wow. was uh, yeah panicking. Yeah, I can imagine. And this, you know, I'd have thought you'd have been a little bit more coy with the money after those early days. You well, know, you got earning from Hutnell, earning from Stags, the highest paid player in the youth team. I thought you'd have coined a few away and you wouldn't pay an extra pound. Quid's, quid's a quid, isn't it? And the day. To be honest, it's saved against splinters, so yeah. That is true. Yeah. You're gonna save a pound, you're gonna save a pound. That is very, very true. (laughs) Let's move on uh, finally to you know the end of your Mansfield Town journey. How involved was Keith Curl in that? Um to be fair, when Keith Curl came in, he was he was having me, you know. I'd I'd been on Skip sent me on loan to Crew. Um Bear in mind, Crew were in the same league, and I think Crew had hammered us like 5 0, 4 0. I think we played him in the cup. Mm. 5 0, 4 0, 3 0, because we played them played three times that season. But Dario Grady saw something in me, um, and he'd, he'd approached Skip and said, Look, I want to take him on loan uh, in the same league. Crew were doing slightly better. So, fair play to Skip. He let me go out on loan, really, um, and just to better my kind of football development. Um, and then Keith Curl came in and he pulled me back off loan from, from Crew. And towards the end of that running, he was, you know, I was in the team. I can remember playing against Blackpool, scoring, Boxing Day. Um, I got injured on on Boxing Day, but then he pulled me straight back in the team. So throughout the rest of that, that team, he was, he, I was I was in his plans. It was just through that summer. Um, he offered me a, a, a new contract for the following season. And it wasn't on great great terms. It was like an incentivized-based contract, um, on, not on very good money at all. Bear in mind, I'd done okay. You know, yeah. scored like 10, 11 goals that season. I was expecting a bit more. Um, so I went on on trial um, at Bristol Rovers because when you're out of contract, you can go and kind of hmm. seek other op- options. Didn't want to go, but I was kind of pressured into it from kind of external forces to go down to Bristol Rovers. Hated it in a hotel. You know, I like being at home. I like to be around kind of my family and stuff. Um, didn't really want to go. And then when I came back, um, the contract was still on the table. I wanted to sign it. I did it all along, but I signed it. And then I think it must have been a bit of a kind of 
knock to his ego really that yeah. had gone somewhere else to try and find more money if you like but end of the day you need to look after yourself you need to look after your family at it the end of the day a quid is a, a quid a real oh yeah yeah quid's <laughs> a quid it, it was a it was a real derisory offer based on the fact yeah. that I'd, I'd done done so well so i was a bit disappointed and then when i came back i can remember we played uh late in that first game of the season they started me um did all right and then after he phoned me up and said, oh, uh, Andy, I'm sending out on loan to Boston United. I'm like, where? Uh, ended up going on loan to Boston United. Then I came back um, and he sent me on loan to Kidderminster Harriers for three months. Enjoyed it down at Kidderminster, loved it under Jan Mulby, learned a lot mm. from there. Then I came back and then that's when Burton came in for me again. So it was really like a stop-start season yeah. for me in terms of being out on loan. And that's really when I fell out of love with football. But then... Crew came back in for me, um, like the April, March, April time, towards the end of that season. And bear in mind, he'd sent me off to Boston United, Burton, um, Kidderminster, and then he turned Crew down. The Crew were in the Championship at the time. I can remember we should have travelled down to Yeovil for Mansfield, and Crew were playing at Forest, mm. and he wanted me to take me and, and start me against Forest in the Championship, and 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 Keith Kill turned it down. So that for me was like the beginning of the end. And then he took me to Wales, you know, Millennium Stadium for the playoff final, spare man there, and he brought somebody in from from Sheffield United to, you know, be that striker, that that kind of target man. I can't remember his name now, but he kind of played in front of me. And so, yeah, my head completely went after that. Um, and it was just a case of getting that final game at Millennium Stadium out of the way, really, in the playoffs as well. I was travelling to Northampton in the semis and seeing the lads doing really well. Yeah. And you couldn't really feel happy for them because you weren't part of that, really. So it was a real bittersweet end for me at, at Mansfield. Yeah, absolutely. I can imagine, and that's that's such a tough thing, isn't it, of a footballer? And, and like you say, maybe, maybe you did hit the nail on the head. Maybe it was the ego thing because you didn't take the deal when it it was first there. Because you know you've got to protect your family and everything. And I, I, I think that's you know that's that's the thing which a lot of fans don't don't think about. And I think that's a, a real real shame. If you could uh, if you could sort of uh, go back and sort of maybe playing one Mansfield game, relive one Mansfield game as a footballer again, which game would you would you pick from your time at the club? Definitely that Cheltenham game on that Tuesday night. Um, that was just an immense atmosphere. So much riding on it. Uh, and luckily I popped up and, and got the winner. Um, so, yeah, the, the, the Cheltenham game for me was, was the bigger of the two. Like I say, I'm a Carlisle. Yeah, I scored. Yeah. And it was a real celebration day. But... The job was done really for me and like Skip said you know he felt confident going into that game so it wasn't as much pressure so that was more like a, a celebration game really for promotion a, a bit of a party game whereas the Cheltenham game was a real kind of um, that was a, the bread and butter that was where it was won in the end really for me I guess that's a bit like um, for, for our younger listeners and or for ourselves as well Craig it's a bit like um, you look at our conference winning days um, yeah. Hereford was the more emotive game wasn't it yeah. more so maybe than the Wrexham game which you know because that that getting that win that was a point where you really sort of re- realised that you might have secured promotion so I guess that's the same as uh, you know Cheltenham before Carl- Carlisle back there's, then there's also definitely something in that idea of getting the lads back together you get get on the blower to Mez and, uh, and, and we will get it sorted I, I think and Mansfield matters 
20-year uh, reunion. It would be great to see that again. Andy, we really appreciate yeah. your time tonight. Before we let you shoot off, though, there is one little bit of uh, content we're going to get you involved in. Every single person who comes on uh, Stag Stories does this, including your ex-gaffer, Stuart Watkiss, uh, and probably a couple of your t- ex-teammates as well. Bobby Hassel we've had on before. Maybe Mick Bolden you might have uh, crossed paths with Oh, yeah, uh, I don't as think, well. yeah. Uh, Mick, Mick Bolden looked nicest bloke in football. Biggest so- in Sheffield as well. Yeah, <laughs> everyone says that ridiculous. Uh, it's basically it's called the oh, it's all about you quiz. Uh, Ten questions against the clock about your time at the Stags. To be fair, most of which we will have touched upon over the last half an hour, forty-five minutes or so. So hopefully they'll be sort of fresh in your mind. Um, this is how it works: Ten questions against the clocks. Uh, contestants are looking to get the most correct answers in the quickest time. If you get an answer wrong, it's plus five seconds to your total time. If you pass, it's plus ten. So it's worth a go, even. Even if you don't know uh, the leaderboard as 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 follows at the minute uh, Stuart Watkiss uh, is mid-table at the moment with 6 in uh, 142 uh, Bobby Hassel just beneath in 6 in 149 uh, Mick Bolding did quite well actually he did 8 uh, in 138 I think he's 4th in the leaderboard uh, at the moment as well Ian Bolin, who was the very first guest on our Stags stories as well he's in there as well with uh, 7 in 139 so what would you be sort of aiming with who are you looking to beat out of those uh, X names I'll, I'll be honest. One, I'm hopeless at quizzes. Two, I'm not great under pressure. Hence the reason I failed at being a firefighter. But yeah, yeah I'm, not, I'm not holding that much hope. I'd, uh, I'd take bottom to be honest. But. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say uh, that you know this is nowhere near as intense as uh, firefighting training. But you never know. I mean, people do get weirdly competitive uh, with this. Uh, Nath, what's your advice uh, for Andy as we uh, prepare for this one? Um. Probably pre- prepare yourself for for an anagram. Craig loves them. I hate them. Um, well, yeah, it's definitely said, one in there. Yeah, it's, it's definitely. It's one always in better there. To, uh, to, to 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 take a sh- shot at a guess than than to pass. So um, yeah, that, that's my advice. Absolutely. Uh, the time will start after I've asked the first question. You were talking about uh, settling for bottom. Well, the score to beat uh, is five. Uh, the, uh, the bottom score at the moment is Paul Cox's first attempt. We've had him on twice. Um, five in twen- uh, two minutes 24. So anything above that, I think that's a, a very good score. I mean, I did stitch him up a little bit and, uh, on that. I, th- I think you'll do quite well with this. A lot of the stuff which we've spoken about um, today will come into that. And there's a lot of guesswork in there as well. So Andy, are you ready to ready to play the It's All About You quiz? Yeah. Okay. Uh, your time will start after I've asked the first question. Uh, in three, two, one. You began to break onto the first team scene from the bench during the, the 2000-2001 campaign, but where did the Stags finish that season? Third, 13th, or 23rd? 13th. Against which team did you make your debut? Southend. The following season, 0102, you got off the mark, netting in a 4-0 win over who? Macclesfield. Arguably your most important goal came at the end of the Stags season when they went up on the final day of the season beating Carlisle, but who else found the net that day? Wayne Gordon. Manager Bill Dearden departed midway through the season, joining which of the Stags' local rivals? Notts County. During the 02-03 season in what is now League One, how many goals did you get in all competitions? Either look, either look is an anagram of which of your former managers? Either look. Keith Curl. 
you played a big part in the Stags' dramatic Derby Day win over the Sea World in January 03, but which of your former teammates was sent off? Jane Bradley. You were loaned out to four clubs during your time with the Stags. Name one of them. Boston United. And finally, you progressed through at the same time as Bobby Hassel, Liam Lawrence and Craig Disley. But of the three, who of them would go on to play the most games for the Stags? Bobby Hassel. Stop the clock. Nathan Edge, how do you think he did there? Very well. I think this is going to be very close to the top. Very close. Andy, how do you think? uh, How do you think you did there? More if I did all right, actually, yeah. Weren't too many that, that caught me out. Even the anagram I kind of got, I think. <laughs> yeah, well. I mean, that, was, that was quite a nice one. I mean, compared to some of the ones I've had, I'm a bit fuming, <laughs> to be honest. Actually. Nathan, you're my mate. I get to stitch you up. I can't stitch guests up too often. <laughs> well, let's put you out of your misery and podcast listeners out of their misery as well. This is incredible. We have waited so many episodes for this moment. We finally have a guest who has scored 10 out of 10. I'm surprising myself. I, I thought it was nine, to be honest. I thought the last one may have been wrong. I'd have gone with Craig Disley, so um, more, than, more than I got. No, Bobby, Bobby, Bobby went got in the team really early um, yeah. in terms of, um, I think it was like 17 or something, so Bobby played loads of games. It's very tight between the three. Uh, Liam Lawrence, 136. Craig Disley, 141. Uh, and then Bobby Hassel, 164 um, in yeah. the end. Um, time-wise, it's almost irrelevant because, you know, we've waited so long for somebody to get high scores. I mean, eight or seven was your average. Um, two players on nine. Um, but to get 10 in one minute 14 was an exceptionally quick score <laughs> as well. So maybe, yeah, you know, maybe this is the start of something new for you, Andy. Maybe quizzes are, uh, you know, your forte. Maybe this is a new career path <laughs> for you. Maybe we'll, we, you know, we'll see you on the chase in a couple of years' time. Uh, well, it, it does that when you update your own Wikipedia page, so you know all the stats for. I mean, that is that is very true because... Oh, well, hold on a minute. So these might not be actually 100% accurate either because basically uh, I, I mean, Andy's going to put the answers on there. Do you know what? Do you know what? There, there is one question this might cause some controversy on there. Um, there is one question which I actually had a different answer for, but you answered uh, earlier on. We were talking about your debut. Um, you said South End. My research said Cardiff. You know what? I don't know whether that I don't know whether I got on against Southend or not. I can remember the first time I was on the bench, so it might it might it might well be Cardiff. Although it might not have counted as actual fixture because it was like an extended season. I don't know, but yeah. I mean, a bit it, of a debate on that one. It's it's a very very like. Uh, debatable one, isn't it? I mean, I should know really, shouldn't I? I should know whether I actually twenty odd years ago, though, man. Twenty odd years ago. I mean, to be fair, if we're saying it wasn't um, Southend, I mean, we'll have to have a judge's inquiry and have a look into it. That would give you a time of uh, nine correct in one nineteen, which would still take you to the top of the leaderboard. To be fair, so. I think I did. I think I did come on against Southend. I'm, sh- I'm sure. I'm sure I did because I was on. I was on the bench um, 
about a season before that when I was still doing my A-levels against Exeter but never got on mm. um, and I can remember the South End was the kind of first time I've been named in the kind of squad and, and Billy saying to me you're going to play tonight because it basically means nothing so I've got nothing to lose I can chuck you on Andy so I'm, I'm sure it was that South End game Do you know what I, I'm going to give it you because it was 20 odd years ago I wasn't really watching football the Stags too much then um, I'm sure there'll be some people that put us right if you if you're listening to this or you're watching this and you you know the facts and you can prove the facts let us know and we'll amend the leaderboard um, you know as per um, but either way Andy you are top of the, the leaderboard it's either 10 in 114 or 9 in 119 an incredible score and I think you'll agree Nath as well an absolutely incredible guest for us today Absolutely, yeah. Um, like I say, we, we, it's going back 20 years, so it's always uh, difficult to, to, to dig out some of the stories, I guess, when you're going back so far. But like we both mentioned, it was the start of our, um, personally, our time sort of becoming Mansfield fans. You know, we've, we've talked about three games there that I remember very well to say I would have only been seven, uh, six and seven years old. But, uh, you know, the Cheltenham, Carlisle and that Chesterfield game, um, three very well especially chess for game absolutely loved it um so to, to to go back and relive some of those memories are uh, you know absolutely brilliant and it's great to hear sort of your perspective of it as well and you know we've talked about the football but again we've we've touched on the very important parts of sort of mental health as well mm. in the game and and outside the game so uh, no thank you very much for, for joining us and it's been a super insight as, as, as expected yeah it's been an absolute pleasure it's been a you know I'm often going through these stories with my mates you know um, I'll be down the pub or um, over the phone or um, when we play football we play five a side so it's good that I can bore other people rather than just my mates but yeah, <laughs> it's been, uh, been a pleasure well, one of the things you can say now as well you know you say you've, you've been a police officer didn't arrest anybody been a fireman didn't, <coughs> didn't play out any fires but you was a footballer, you got a promotion medal, and now you're top of the leaderboard of the Mansfield Matters quiz. So, you, you know, it's, the honours are there. As accolades go, I think that's probably the best. That, it's that, almost that, that's up there, isn't it? a man of the match tweet from me, isn't it, these days? You know, it's, it's, absolutely, it's absolutely it is. Uh, Andy, thanks very much for your time. We always end on the, the guest's final word, so this is your opportunity uh, for you to send a message to, to Stags fans, and I'm sure there'll be uh, a former manager of yours that can't resist having a little listen to this um, as well so uh, Andy White it's over to you for the final word yeah I mean obviously being a, a localish lad um, growing up wanting to be a professional footballer dreaming of being a professional footballer and to, to actually have fulfilled that dream is something that nobody can ever take away from me and you know all the banter in the world on the yeah, football pitch on a Saturday afternoon can't take it away from me I've got the memories you know creating memories for other people as well which is nice to hear um, and you know special thanks to to Skip um, all the managers I've played under really for helping me to fulfil that dream um, it's every boy's dream to play professional football um, I'm lucky one of the few that actually got to fulfil that dream dreamed of playing at Wembley playing in, in, in the cup final at Wembley so for me, I kind of come away from football very content, knowing that A, I did my best, and B, um, created such fantastic memories. So uh, yeah, um, Mansfield always be a special place in my heart in terms of my footballing journey. Um, the, the supporters were fantastic with me, um, still are when I when I work in and around Mansfield. 
and uh, hopefully um, get to a few games uh, next season when fans are allowed back in. Another chance to ensure. Surely this game will be won. And it's going to be slammed in by White. And surely now this game is won. There may only be, what, 29 minutes gone here. But Carlisle with nothing to play for and having not scored for six and a half hours must now do so twice to stop Mansfield getting the three points they believe will take them into Division 2. White with a second. And there you go, what a story with Andy White as well. Honestly, that brought back so many memories. And, you know, we, we actually sat chatting with him, you know, a good five, ten minutes after we'd finished recording off air. Hopefully, what we've sort of came up with between the three of us, we're not going to say too much, um, for potentially the end of next season. Oh, my God, if we can pull that off, that would be absolutely immense, won't it? There's a tease for you. <laughs> Absolutely, uh, absolutely superb if if it, if it can happen. Um, you know, we'll have to wait and wait and see on that. But you know, he, he's very keen on making it making it happen as well. So um, yeah, well, I guess we can all can say is watch this space, and we'll, we'll be working hard behind the scenes. Yeah, absolutely great to hear so many memories as well. I mean, me and you, we were very young Stags fans when Andy, you know, was playing in those times. You know, like the the, the Cheltenham game and the, the promotion and all of that, the, the Carlisle and the things like that as well. So really great and refreshing to to hear that, and also some little gems along the way that the stuff about Keith Curl coming in as a mm. as a player over Stuart Watkins's head and things like that and training pulling up in his Merc at West Knots madness really I mean he's not done anything to change my opinion of uh, you know the, the previous chairman no. who, who shall never be named on this podcast so um, that, that's for sure um, and yeah I mean the, the whole Keith Curl story was 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 quite interesting it, it's something that I kind of wish we knew a little bit more um, previously before we mm. sort of had a chat with uh, Stuart Watkins on yeah. the previous stag stories because it would have been you know, great to sort of hear sort of how it was from his point of view whether he did see it in that sense that you know curls come in and, and he, he, whether he was aware that he was probably lined up to take the manager's job or whether he wasn't you know it's hard for us to know at this point but uh, but yeah either way it's a very you know it was a good insight something that i wasn't really aware of yeah absolutely um this is the first time we've caught up in a while firstly how's fatherhood life all's good um i can't remember what it's like to have a decent night's sleep um Although saying that, I mean, Emma's been absolutely amazing. She's, <laughs> when it comes to the night, um, you know, I, I complain about being woken up, but she's, she's certainly up a lot more than me and she doesn't really moan about it. So she's been she's been absolutely brilliant. But no, he's, he's settled in really well. He's, you know, as of recording this, he's three and a half weeks old and um, he's already starting to roll over and things like that, which they're not supposed to do for a long time yet. And he's smiling a lot I, I, I don't know what I think he's going to be a scientist when he's older or something because <laughs> he seems to be doing a lot of things really early when he shouldn't be doing either that or he's, he's older than we, than we think but some parts are hard but it's been the, one, of the, one of the best things that's ever happened it's mm. been you know, such a crazy sort of amazing journey already talking of journeys uh, you know season tickets and that are out now I've got a bone to pick with you oh, over a certain, there we go. Over a certain <laughs> tweet you know it was your birthday recently happy birthday by the way um, you. you tweeted uh, earlier today um, 
So, what did you do on your 27th birthday, Nathan? I renewed my Mansfield Town FC season ticket for the 18th consecutive season, of course. Hashtag once a stag, always a stag. Now, you've missed a vital opportunity here, haven't you? I have. I have indeed. You should have tweeted... Um, you know what did you do on your 27th birthday Nathan I renewed my season ticket Mansfield Town FC season ticket for the 18th consecutive season of course why because Mansfield matters I know. why have you, you why have you omitted this from your tweet I'm so sorry I mean it would have been genius uh, or, or certainly very much on brand to, <laughs> to do it and I'm good that I didn't think about it and if, if if Twitter had a bit more about it like like Facebook and allowed you to edit tweets you can't come up with that now. no no you can't, you, can't. Come, you can't come up with that that's shocking you should have known to do it first time round three week old child or not you know I'm not having Look, it sleep deprived like, or not I'm, I'm sleep, oh no 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 I'm not having it and, and it's several weeks into the season being closed, so, you know, you can sort of excuse me for, for being a little bit off it. Do you know yeah, what? No. No, definitely can't. Uh, we'll have words. You think you go away and think about your actions. Uh, we'll be back with hopefully another Stag Stories uh, episode for you very, very soon. Indeed, got some really good guests uh, lined up in the pipeline. Um, we're not going to be putting them out sort of every single week. We're not going to commit to that. We'll be putting episodes out when we can. You know, like we said at the end of the season, things are very, very busy for all of us now. Cam's still away at uni. Um, Nathan's got a child to deal with now. Um, I've got a new job, which is taking a lot out of me at the moment as well. So, um, you know, we'll be putting episodes out as and when we can, but we, uh, we're certainly working hard to bring you the content that we can. Finally, though, Nath, um, I guess it's all about counting down to pre-season now we've got the pre-season fixtures out I'm sure we'll do like a mini cast at some point to sort of catch up on on everything but how satisfying was it early today um, when that news came out about pre-season friendlies you had a date in the diary it's a game we can actually go and watch live in person have you set a, like a, a notification yet a countdown timer uh, well I've, I've, the, the, I need to put them in the uh, in, in the calendar that's for sure but um, yeah I mean let's just hope and pray and cross every little thing we've got to hope that you know nothing changes in in regards to restrictions and we we will be there to uh to be able to go and attend those matches because it's it feels like forever doesn't it so um you know i think it certainly is worthy of a, of a countdown and uh yeah I, I think we'll all be there won't we and uh who knows maybe we'll be able to do some sort of special podcast oh yeah that'd be great um, i'm sure we can figure that for out for that moment yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, we'll work on we'll work on that. We'll, we'll we'll go away and work on that, and we'll work on some other magical things. Hopefully, for the end of next season as well, involving this man, Andy White. He's been a fantastic guest for us on Stag Stories today. My thanks to you for listening, uh, for taking the time to to share, and all of the good things along with that as well. And we'll see you next time for another episode of Stag Stories. More details on our social media at MTFC Matters, our website www mtfcmatters.co.uk Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.